going to be looking in Isaiah chapter 30 tonight. Isaiah chapter 30 at a message that I call a word from behind. Isaiah chapter 30, uh, verse 20. <clears throat> and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand, and when you turn to the left. A word from behind. May God bless the reading of this word tonight. It's my prayer. This is an activity of God's incredible and amazing grace on our behalf. A word from behind. There are certainly times when we need another set of eyes. Another perspective. Someone maybe who can see a bigger picture than we can. Someone who knows uh, better than we. Somebody, as the old hymn said, somebody bigger than, than you and I. Someone who can see, who knows the way, and who can point us in the direction that we need to go. A word from behind. Now, the picture is one that we're familiar with. It's one uh, that would describe someone who would come up behind you and whisper uh, something in your ear. And there's, there's times, of course, when we all need uh, that word from behind. There, I never think about this passage that I don't think about, an experience that I had uh, in Hazen many years ago. Nancy and I were invited to a chamber of commerce meeting. I don't know how we got away without the kids. I, I don't remember. The distance is too long. But it was just Nancy and I, and, and we went to the chamber of commerce meeting, and it was packed full there in the bank building. They didn't have a very large room, and it was just full. They had a special speaker that night. And uh, after the meeting, we were milling around, and I was trying to make my way through the crowd. Uh, Nancy was right behind me. I spotted an opening, so I reached behind me and grabbed her hand and started moving along through the opening. I don't know how long that they let me go along, but I didn't grab Nancy's hand. I grabbed Ada Haygood's hand, and uh, uh, that's Andrea's grandmother, by the way, and uh, she, that would have been a great place for somebody to have given me a word from behind, you know, somebody... I asked Ada, why didn't she say something? And she said, well, you're my pastor. I, <laughs> uh, so let me just say this right now. If we're ever in a crowd and I reach out and grab your hand, ladies, please say something, okay? Please. No, I learned my lesson. I, I've never grabbed a hand behind me without looking again. I tell you, it just, uh, in fact, I could really blush up a lot tonight just talking about it. Uh, there are times when we need to hear a voice, um, and in this case, it is a voice of God's grace to us as he points out to us things that were happening. Now, I preached out of the book of Jude this morning in the context there in Jude spoke of God's judgment, and, and uh, I have to say to you tonight that as we look in Isaiah chapter 30 and we begin to consider what was happening uh, around this statement that God makes here, uh, we're going to see a time uh, where God was promising judgment to his people. He says in verse 1, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, that cover with the covering, 
but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. He goes on in verse 8. He says, Now go write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. What is it that God is going to write down about His people forever and ever? This is a rebellious house. Lying children. Children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not. To the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Say, well, what what exactly does that mean? Well, they told the men who saw visions to stop looking. They told the men who spoke the truth of God to stop preaching. And as if that weren't bad enough, they were listening to the ones who told them smooth things and deceitful, lying things. And at the end, They said, go away and leave us alone. Can you imagine a people saying to God, go away, get out of my way, leave me alone, let me do what I want. No wonder God calls them rebellious children who lie and who won't listen. They were rushing headlong into more and more sinfulness because he said they're covering at the cover, but not of my spirit, God said, so that they can add sin to sin. That was their goal. God's response is spelled out for him then in verse 13. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant, and he shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessel that's broken in pieces, He shall not spare, so that there shall not be found in the bursting of it assured to take fire from the hearth or to take water withal out of the pit. Now God describes for them the suddenness of his response. When he said that it's like my judgment, he says, it's like a breach in a wall. And what he's picturing then is a high wall that's leaning. Now, you could watch a leaning wall if you've ever seen one, especially a stone wall, which this one no doubt was, and, and you'd see it leaning, and it, it looked like, man, that thing could fall at any time. You ever seen a wall like that? Maybe a house that was leaning, and you said, man, that, that's a dangerous thing. It could fall at any time. But then days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months, and you pass it again and again and again and again, and after a while you kind of lose sight of how dangerous it is. But then when it falls, it falls suddenly. God then is picturing himself as as bulging out, with swelling out, uh, about to break. And he said, when this judgment comes, he says it's going to be like the breaking of a potter's vessel. It's not just going to be broken. A vessel could be broken and it would leave a, a pot shard big enough that they could still utilize it, maybe to scrape the coals out of the fire, but nothing. A bowl could be broken, but 
Maybe it, it, there's enough of it left down at the bottom that you could use it to scoop water out. And uh-uh. The judgment that God was promising upon His people Israel in Isaiah chapter 30 was a judgment so severe that nothing useful would be left. All that would be left would be pieces. And their life would be full of complete brokenness. Not one useful thing left in the wreckage. You say, well, how could God do that to His people? Listen, sin did that to His people. Their choices, their decisions, they were the ones that said to God, God, leave me alone. They're the ones who covered up so they could add sin to more sin. They were the ones who told the prophets to hush and told the seers to stop looking for a a message from God. They're the ones who were rebellion. They're the ones who were turning to rebellion. They're the ones who were listening to the lying prophets. It wasn't God who was causing this. What a powerful picture then we're given of what sin does. But God also gives them an amazing picture at that exact moment, as He so often does, of the potential for deliverance. For thus saith the Lord God, verse 15, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And you would not. God's message to them was simple. Return and rest. Rest in quietness and confidence. The product of their trusting God And that would be the source of their strength. Instead, he pictures them as loading up all of their valuables on the fastest horses they could find. What a contrast. God says, you rest. You reflect. You return to me. You rest. You rest in quietness and confidence. Instead, they started loading up the fastest horses they could, putting all their treasures on it, To run down to Egypt. (laughs) And don't you know that no no matter how fast our horse will run, the judgment of God rides on a faster one. How They weren't going to outrun the judgment of God, especially by going down to Egypt. We'll talk more about that later. But it was at that point then in the narrative that we find the message of our text. Just go ahead and turn this off and I'll use this one, Paul. Please, thank you. Return and rest. Quietness and confidence. Return and rest. And what did God promise them? Uh, Therefore, verse 18, will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. There they were then, rebelling against him, resisting his will, refusing his word as it's proclaiming to them. God sees them and they were covering up, but they weren't cleaning up. They were going deeper and deeper and deeper into their sin. And at that moment, then God promises them that they'll hear a word from behind. If they'd stop long enough to listen, if they'd be quiet enough so they could hear, They'd find out that God 
was ready, willing, and able to give them the message. Saying, go this way. Do this. Do that. Now, whenever we talk about hearing a word from the Lord, I, I always try to put in what we call a disclaimer. I don't mean that you're going to hear the voice of God with your ears. That God is going to speak to you audibly. He speaks much louder than that. He's, he speaks to our spirit. And uh, he does it through the Holy Spirit. He does it primarily through his word. Uh, but God does have a remarkable way of getting his message across to us at just the right time. This is a word that we'd hear and that they would hear in their heart and in their soul. And so that kind of sets the context of this passage for us tonight. And I think it's important then that we go on and, and see the condition the condition that God specifically describes for us when he says they'd hear a word from behind. Now, if they were hearing a word from behind them, it should be self-evident that they were actually a people then who had turned their back to God. God is behind them. They'd had their say. Leave me alone. Get out of my way. Stop bothering me. Stop convicting me. They had turned in and they were going. Now, if you've had that experience. That time maybe when you were carrying on a conversation with somebody and it got a little bit heated. And you finally said, okay, that's it. You turned around and walked away. And as you're walking away, you hear something. <laughs> maybe you heard it real clearly. But you kind of acted like you don't. And we respond to that immediately. We whip around. What did you say? You want to say that to my face? What did you say? You been there? I've been there. I've been on both sides of that equation. Depending on who it is that's whipping around, a lot of times I say nothing. <laughs> I just say nothing. No. <clears throat> I was just clearing my throat. <clears> throat> uh, uh. God was not speaking spitefully to them. Okay? He, God had spoken very clearly already what was about to happen. Uh, but instead, what they were hearing as they were walking away from God was, turn around. Turn around. Return, God said, and rest. Be quiet Listen, return, and rest, and I will deal graciously and mercifully to you. Don't we serve a glorious God? That even when his people, his children, would be rebellious and look him in the face and lie to him. And yet even in the midst of such rebelliousness, such lying voices, God says, return, rest. Let me deal graciously and mercifully with you. But God was speaking to a people who were getting further and further and further away from God. When we do that, of course, that means that God has to speak 
louder and louder and louder. Do you know tonight that God can speak loudly when he needs to? He could just whisper to them when they were up close. But as they went further and further and deeper and deeper into their rebellion, uh, God was speaking to them, warning them of what he would have to do as they continued to add sin to sin. Yet as they were trying ever harder to distance themselves from God, uh, they discovered then that God continued to say the same things. Return and rest in quietness and confidence. Return and rest so that I may have mercy on you and be gracious to you. Return, return, rest, be quiet. Well, some people turn, as you read through the passages, you'll see some people turn to the right. Some of them were turning to the left. <laughs> hey, I did that, you're right and left. Wasn't that cool? Some were turning to the right, some to the left. Some might have turned to a system touting their own human goodness. I, I'm going to make my own way, God. I don't need you to tell me what's the good way or the right way. I'm, I'm a smart person. I can figure this out on my own. Others might be turning to a life of ever more grotesque, hideous sin. They might go deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. That's not, I think really you see both of those things pictured. But regardless of whether... Uh, people were turning to their own goodness, thinking they could make themselves right or fix their own problems, or whether people were turning into a life of deeper and deeper sin. God's answer was the same. Return. Turn around. You know, the meaning of repentance in the Scripture is to turn around or to return. We find that all over the Word of God. Anytime that somebody's got their back turned to God, guess what they need to do? They need to turn around. Turn around. And that's exactly what the content of this message gives us. God would give them that word from behind saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. That, of course, begins with the words of our Lord Jesus Christ who said, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. But in this simple message then, and I've already repeated them for you several times, God sets four things out for our careful consideration. First, of course, is that word return, to repent, to turn around. Those of you who have a military background, this would be a command known as about face. Turn around. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 records the words of the Apostle Paul as he was preaching there on Mars Hill to that vast crowd of intellectuals and elites at Athens. The Greeks were constantly looking for some new knowledge. They had an incredible thirst for knowledge. They had decided they had enough religion, but they wanted more and wanted to know more. And so uh, they were listening to Paul, though they called him a seed picker. That is, they were making fun of him. He's just, you know, he's just a he's an unlearned guy. Paul was probably more educated than anybody else on the hill that day. But as he reached the conclusion of his message, he tells us that God now commands all men 
everywhere to repent. John the Baptist came into the world preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When the Bible tells us that Jesus began to go around and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, what did he tell people to do? Repent and believe the gospel. Repent. There can be no other blessing or favor from God until we deal with the necessary repentance. As long as people are saying, I'm okay. As long as we're saying, I'm fine going my own way. As long as we're covering up things so that we can add more sin to the sin that we've already got. There's no further blessing. But when we repent... Then comes that great promise of rest. This refers, you see, to a settled decision. As opposed to a heart that is full of turmoil. A heart full of remorse. A heart full of regret. A heart full (coughs) of depression. A heart full of anxiety. A heart full of all the things that sin brings to it. Oh, how deceptive it is. It seems so much fun. It seems relaxing. It seems like it'll be really good. Oh, but at last, at last, the Bible says, it stings and it bites. The deceptiveness of sin. But when we repent, all of that turmoil and all that guilt is taken away. And we can rest. I wish I could tell you that means that you're always going to get a good night's sleep. But I can't tell you that. I can tell you that there's something more precious than a good night's sleep. And that's to be able to rest in the Lord. To know that our decision is made. Our heart is right. As the old hymn writer said, there's nothing between my soul and the Savior. I know that I'm right with Him. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that weary and are heavy laden... And I will give you what? Rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly at heart and you shall find rest. Now which one of those is true? Does Jesus give us rest? Or do we find rest? Both are true. We find it because he gave it to us. That's a good thing when you're looking for something and somebody hands it to you. Isn't that a good thing? Look all over the place. I can't find it. Here it is. Might make us feel a little silly sometimes, but both are true. Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest and you shall find rest. There's the word quiet. I never thought I'd get to the place in life where quiet would become a a controversial thing, but it has. Uh, I was kind of late to even figuring out that it was controversial, but it is. In the Christian world, what does it mean to be quiet? As far as I know, it means to be quiet, to listen, be quiet. Psalm 4 and 4 says, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Psalm 4 and 4. Psalm 46 and 10, famous verse, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The controversy has come because there are a lot of people who have taken this, I think, to an unhealthy extreme. 
And uh, they've in, injected some Eastern mysticism ideas in it, maybe some meditational type thinking into it. Uh, that's not uh, what the Bible's talking about. But most of us can, uh, can understand that it's hard to listen and talk at the same time. Sometimes it's hard for us to listen when we're thinking about talking. How many times have you ever introduced yourself to someone, met them from the first time, for the first time? And when they were telling you what their name was, you were thinking about what you were going to say next. So when you tried to speak back to them, lo and behold, you didn't know, you didn't get their name. Uh, that's a good little thing to learn. I have to relearn it all the time. When somebody tells you their name, listen, repeat it. I've got a great excuse for it anymore. I'm getting more hard of hearing all the time. I'm sorry I didn't hear that. That doesn't always get it done, but that's an interesting thing to do. It's hard to talk and listen. It is hard to even think about talking, thinking about what we're going to say and listen. So there comes a time when we need to do what the Bible says, to just stand in awe, continue with our own heart upon our bed and be still, to call out to God and allow him then that opportunity to speak back to us. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 7 then closes it up for us. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this. Their strength is to sit still. Uh, the word for strength in this passage in Hebrew is the word Rahab. It's one of the names uh, that was translated for Egypt because uh, Egypt was a place of great strength and claimed that great strength and and so God kind of makes a play on words here. And he said, uh, uh, what, uh, what the Egyptians, what Rahab, what uh, Rahab is really good at, what the Egyptians are really good at is sitting still. <laughs> they were loading up their fastest horses, putting their wealth, their most valuable treasures on their horses to run them down to Egypt in hopes that Egypt would help them. And so God makes a play on words. Egypt's strength is to sit still. But what has he told them? Their strength was to sit still as well. Egypt was not going to be able to help them. By contrast, God is a great source of strength. In your life and mine, there'll be times when we have a problem that we don't know how to solve. We'll have something going on and we really don't know what to do about it. And in that situation, our constant temptation is to go looking for something that will help us, something that will give us strength, some fast horse that we can climb up on that'll get us far, far away. In those times, God says, return. Return and rest. Return and rest. 
face our sins squarely. Bring it to God. He'll, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Deal with that sin, not cover it up. Take it to God so he can cleanse us from it. Return to him and rest. As opposed to all the things that we do sometimes to try to fix that up. Tonight, then, we look at this classic Old Testament passage, Isaiah chapter 30, that promises us that God can give us that word from behind. Though we might have turned our back from him, God can still speak a word that we get very clearly. If we'll listen, stop running. God will speak to us and give us that word that says, turn this way. Go this way. You want to turn that way? No, no, no. You want to turn this way? No. God leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Maybe tonight you're struggling with a decision, struggling with something going on in your world. Maybe tonight then God has brought this message just to you. And to tell you that you can return, return to him, and rest, rest in him. Maybe tonight you're that person that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Never come that time where you've trusted him. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. And that means you need to deal with Jesus Christ. For you, returning and rest means to repent of your sins, to turn to Jesus Christ, to ask him to be your Savior. He will. He will. Maybe tonight there's other things you just need to bring to God. Maybe you're on the other side of that thing. Say, man, I sure do need a word from behind. Ask God. Ask God. How do I know we can ask God for things like that? Well, the Bible tells us so. If any of you lack wisdom, what do you do? Ask God. Ask God. Who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. You know what that means? That means, number one, God grants that request when we ask him for wisdom. And number two, he doesn't chastise us for being so ignorant. Well, you ought to known better than that. No, God never treats us that way. God does not upbraid us when we call to him and say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to deal with this. God doesn't upbraid us. He doesn't rebuke us for that. Because we're doing exactly what we ask him to do. Lord, give me a word from behind. Let's stand together, please.